0: All right, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for continued good fellowship and thinking about our families. We'd ask you to bless our minds and our affections. In your son's name, amen. amen. Okay, we're we're looking at the joy of true affection. And there's a number of loves that are already existent in you, through what we've gone through, we've got went through making your life truly Christian in front of them. The love of the Christian for whatever the situation, no matter how unlovely your child may be, that Christian love sees it and goes. How am I going to express the love of Christ to this person? And. Uh, Then there is the kind of the unique, I don't know what to call it, love, but the condescension of height. It's a different point, a good good point of relationship to your children. There's the love of the discipline that we, the Lord disciplines the sons whom he loves. We discipline our kids because we want a good for them. Uh, There are some people who discipline kids because they had a bad day at the office, we discipline because we want to shape a life that is, that is wise and good for them. It's a kindness to them, like love is. Um, affection. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are elements of affection that, that track with all of these. Um, but as I said before about children, getting your number long before you have theirs. Have you ever been hugged by somebody you kind of didn't believe was into it? Well, you know the side hug. You know you, you go in for the side hug. Ay, 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 go away. <laughs> then there are the people that care, maybe care too much. Uh, when young ladies of tight young bodies decide they're going to hug at Mr. Wilson, I have to tell my wife later. She hugged me really and you say, well what the fear is the second one was sincere the first one wasn't you worry about the sincere ones but you can trade on sincere affection, you know what it is Uh, they, they know if you're faking enjoyment of them I mean, not when they're young you don't have to be a great actor to deceive a two year old but uh, no, I, I, I'll, I'll play softball with you, sure, sure, we'll throw the ball. Whatever time you give, there ought to be a real, a true affection that is expressing something that the child sees just like they would should see the discipline of your height, your role, your authority... That your love for them, your relationship to them, needs to be expressed physically. We're talking about physical affection. I think there is forms of affection that that might be in a way someone looks at someone else. Yeah, you've seen all that. You you have family looks that you give each other that that trade on an affection and understanding. Um, Affection that is if we, if we we center it primarily in the physical the reason affection is a good you have a, again a natural and and
1: uh,
0: ordinate affection your affection is to be um, not untoward when it reaches out to your children consequently since your affections are real, or ought to be, your affections should carry with them the realization of their valuation to you. How much do you love your children? Oh, I love them forever. No, 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 knock it off. You're not supposed to. The Lord doesn't want you to. You're not allowed to love anything more than him. He says that clearly in some very difficult passages. You are to have higher affections for your God than for your children. And to be a reminder to some women, because they need to hear it, maybe some men, you need to have higher affections for their spouse than for their children. You have a greater bond with a wife or a husband than you have with a child your affections for the child are going to express that membership you have as family. The the Evan Wilsons, the, the mother, husband and wife, and the four offspring have a degree of affection that expresses the membership that they have in belonging. Physical affection sets that up. Now why does physical affection set it up? Like in sexuality, uh, the Doing the nasty, having the relations, whatever you want to call it, is not merely pleasurable. It sets up a sense, a thread of membership that says this was an attempt to be one body. We express our desire to have that degree of connectedness that my membership with her will cause me to always honor her because no man hates his own flesh will cause her to be obedient to the head because what body could function that wasn't a cripple that didn't and when we do that with children the physical affection sets up a sensation doesn't actually accomplish membership but it is the metaphor we use for membership we because it, it communicates um a, a, the degree of closeness that is um, bodily—that's what membership refers to—is whether or not your bodies are members. Um, it's automatic when you're feeling that membership. It's automatic when you know if you, if Christian love is all you have to fall back on, well, better fall back on it because if your kids are that awful. You need the Lord's help to love them but I want to tell you what, where the affections lie so that natural affections but true ones are yours to, to register Did you put them in the right place below God, below spousal affection above neighbor kids affection you ever, you know, there, there's probably any number of movies made or stories told of men that found somebody else's son being more the perfect son they wanted than their own son and so they were out throwing the football with the neighbor kid because he was that much more interested in football. And, and um, sometimes fathers, of course, react very angrily. Mr. Debutts, which was a great name for this problem, Mr. Debutts. his son, I forget his first name, the Debutts kid, wore the kind of sneakers that were like the deck shoes, you know, the little blue, round, white toe, wasn't an athletic shoe, it was a deck shoe, and he'd run around on his toes, and he was a failure as a child. <laughs> Mr. DeButts was this, you took this sleeve made of, you might say, crystalline testosterone, and filled bull blood, and shook it up, and out came this father. He was a, he was a man's man, and he was cursed with the DeButts kid, <laughs> who was just awful. And he would abuse every other kid. I was considered too masculine. But that's not even on the point. But some fathers actually trade out their own kids. They find some place for their affections to lie. But you have these things, so you need to concern yourself with them. Just like you shouldn't be hugging hugging all the sorority sisters as they come back to campus greeting one another with a holy kiss because you know your own motivations you would you would say well, maybe I ought not to do that but if I am doing this neutral or positive or uh, metaphoric affection neutral means it just happens that they came out of your body they are actually generally speaking the the code that you and the missus made this is one of the problems I talked over adoption with my dad a few weeks ago because he's just counts he a lot of situations like that and just be warning to you that some things are so real adoption is not a violation of some Christian standard but it's a violation of nature because you're either not feeling it because they're not of you, naturally or um, you try to make up for it aggressively now that all things the same there's this, I call it here in the notes neutral what you are when you're at neutral they are your children when you're in neutral it's It's, you will pick them up. I don't have to think about picking somebody else's kid up. My own kids I picked up without even thinking. Automatic situation, even when they were unlovely. That belonging to a state by real membership, they were born into it allows them to collect on the membership affection that is done expressly to express the membership and build the membership. The positive, of course, is all the the um, um, uh, physical attention that uh, you reward your child with. They score a touchdown in the game and so you hug them at the end of the game and and take them out for ice cream and and t- and, and give them a lot of that physical attention. Um, now, the, one of the whys I have here on the side here, the, the, the physical ch- uh, challenges, the claims of a self alone. Some of the problems that we see in today's youth is because there are not there's not adequate discipline, there's not adequate affection, there's no point of contact. Everything from. Um, the religion of the parents, to the adulthood of the parents, to the discipline of the parents, to the affection of the parents, all of it is more and more not present and distant or fake and you're getting a lot more kids, sometimes illegitimately but sometimes there's something really going on that are autistic in their withdrawal. They they start stepping back inside the self where everybody else outside can see them stepping into themselves. Now, I think it's a real problem, but I, I think it's because a child steps into the self and doesn't know where the door handle is to get back out again. They, 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 they walk through a one-way valve, and they can't get out. They hid from what was, you know, some people are all about themselves, and they become Ted Bundy, um, a sociopath. And all about himself and a narcissist, whatever he was, killing anybody he wanted to kill for his jollies. Other people withdraw in a very negative or quieting way. The physical affection is the challenge to that. We had a um, very autistic guy used to come in the bookstore. This was back in the 80s, early 80s, late 70s. Named Eric Madsen. He was a it was an item around town. Everybody knew him. He'd stand on the street corners, and he'd rock back and forth. And you hoped you didn't have to wait at the light with him because he smelled so bad. He was an adult, brilliant, and messed up. Become messed up when his parents got divorced when he was in junior high. He just stepped back away from what his family did, and he couldn't find his way out. Well, he'd come in the store, smelling badly, usually he'd buy a whole bologna not slices of bologna but a whole bologna and be sitting there eating bologna in the bookstore and my dad would grab him and hug him and not let him go just grab him, hug him and not let him go and we did things like grab him and take him off and bathe him you know, because <laughs> that's had to be done too but he started having more of a connection. I never know what happened to him. He, he went off someplace. But the, the physical connection is sort of an undeniable... We, we sometimes convince ourselves that what we're seeing is illusion. And when you're stepping back away from everything and the, the lies to you is, is just illusion. But touch comes through and signals to you something far more uh, real than maybe sight, you don't usually think I hallucinated my sense of touch either for pain or for pleasure well we talked about this on uh, the last section about um, discipline how people say no when they could say yes but I want you to think about it in terms of affection there are the sort of sometimes moms always want to you know kiss all over their kids. That's their affection. That's real affection. Some you know more staid Anglo Saxons would like to sit on the couch with a child at each knee reading a Dr. Seuss book. That was affection. Um, my um, sometimes it's just being an article of benevolence in your kid's life where you don't say no when you could say yes don't say no when you could say yes you want them generally to think that your par- their parents are really nice about that um we would many times would say, tell our kids we can't afford it they'd ask for a certain toy we can't afford it but because we tried to do as much as we could for them they knew when we said we can't afford it that it was not because we were just being pissy but don't think that you are finding your inner tiger mom by saying no all the time it's very easy given the standards a mother might have about sugars and about, what else, carbonation. and Because that one of the kids, always would come to father. Can I have a Coke? Yeah. And then, can I have a cookie? Yeah. I would say yeah. Always say yeah. Now, because guys don't think. I don't know how many calories are in that. Uh, guys don't care about calories, obviously. But uh, I would request or suggest to you women, quit being such an accountant about what they're they're not thinking about how many calories and how many carbohydrates and how many whatever else sugars um, there are in the thing they just want a carbonated drink thank you very much and you can say yes you don't have to go my gosh look Alexander the Great drank Coca-Cola his whole life never had a problem
1: there's another realm where saying yes when you might want to say no. Um, I, I remember it in my own childbearing. I loved having my kids all around me, especially on the weekends when they, they weren't off at school and Evan felt freer to just kinda hang out. And, so you wanna have these great family times. And then as they get older and they have friends, they go, hey, can I go spend the night with so and so, and as a mom, you suddenly go, "Oh, that's then we won't all be together." But you realize, what does he really want to do? He wants to go spend the night with his friend. And when you say no because you're trying to cling to this family time, um, you're not really giving them the thing that they desire, which is legitimate for them to desire it. Um, it's just something to keep
0: in mind. I like this verse here in Matthew 7 verse 11 If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children that's what we're questioning do you? Not just at the high holy days not just on their birthday but give good gifts to your children. And I was talking, because I had to run him off at lunch and get my father, who I'd taken to the farmer's market earlier today, before we started the first session, I had to pick him up after the first session. And so I told him what we were going through. He said, okay, okay. Because he was always thinking about how he could take over my child <laughs> seminar. And he said, one of the things that we did is we gave you things that you wanted before you asked for, them. and I remember those moments. It made my made my relationship with my parents the best in the in the universe. I just said to myself, "What? What? A, this can't be happening." Um, and rather than, because we're, we're talking about. Uh, saying yes when you want to say no and then in some family moment time and they're asking you to go to a friend's house my dad suggesting think of what they're going to want that is going to destroy what you want, that isn't what you want and offer it to them the circumstances that um my dad mentioned, he said, tell him this. He said, uh, when we, Doug and I, I was, a, my junior s- uh, summer in high school, Doug had just graduated, almost a graduate from high school. Dad said, before, we didn't ask for anything. This, life was going on. We don't have much fun. And, uh, and he said, here, here's uh, 20 bucks. Why don't you guys drive to uh, Annapolis, in which we're in Michigan why don't you guys take a summer break, take the car, here's some buck, um, go have an adventure. Suggesting to us that we do something, providing for it, and we couldn't believe our, you know, in other words, we had to plan something we hadn't thought of that was a gift of what neither my mother or my father thought Doug and Evan were ready for. And to many degrees, we were not. God preserved our lives miraculously, and we came back with as much money as we left with after a week, because everybody in Annapolis kept, oh, you're Jim and Bessie's son and be slipping us $20 bills and, <laughs> and
1: uh,
0: so we came back with gifts and more money um, the other thing my dad mentioned, and I can remember the situation here, uh, we had moved to Ann Arbor in 68 and, um Oh, I think it was at the end of 69, summer of 69. Is that a song? Yep. Okay. Uh, it was important. And uh, we're driving around the Beltway around Ann Arbor, just my dad and myself. And he said, I know you want long hair, so why don't you grow your hair long? You know. All your mother asked is you keep it clean and neat. Are you cool with that? I said, yes, sir and probably grew my hair long. Now, I was the only kid in high school who didn't have daddy issues growing his hair long. I had great respect for my father. I was the only obedient, long-haired kid in school. And this was things... My mother and father did not, out of any hippiness on their part, my mother didn't like it. My father was an ex-Navy guy. He wasn't that fond of it. But he knew that showing affection, giving a good, giving a pleasantness, not only when you've been asked, but when you have a chance to get ahead of the curve, know what they really want. But why don't you guys, uh, here, here's, here's 50 bucks. Why don't you guys go out to, uh, and do this? Do what you want to do. In many ways, that my parents couldn't afford much, but they would do things like that. When I turned 18, they gave me the keys to the car, 10 bucks, said, see you this evening. Go out and do whatever you want. It's a very... The the affection and the ranks of affection have an effect effect on your child's uh, admiration for you. Now, because it's a powerful good thing, affection is, Some people think they'll load up on the affection and not on the discipline. It has to be at the level that is deserved by the circumstance. It has to be a natural expression. You want it to be a lot of affection. You don't want affection ever to be... um, People go, don't you love your kids? Now, we're not a huggy family uh, primarily. Leslie hugs more than I do. But I showed a lot of physical affection to my kids when they were little. You know, figure we're adults now, we'd shake hands like gentlemen other people want a hug, but that's fine you just have to watch out that you don't debase the currency by throwing too much of this affection at them a lot of affection is really good when they're young just like a lot of discipline, they are processing pleasure and pain they're pro- pro- and later on just listening to your kid describe their day at school is makes them feel really valued. So, when they become reasonable beings, the reasonableness becomes the thing that they value. But when they're really little, it's the pleasure, it's the pain. It's the sitting on your lap. Yes?
1: I I had a comment here guess, to the moms largely, but um, I once was talking with someone who was saying she just had such a hard time getting anything done because her kids were constantly coming in to the kitchen maybe while she's cooking and saying, Mom, I need a hug. And so she said, I feel like I have to stop what I'm doing and hug them because if, they, if they're so needy that they need a hug, I should give it to them. And I, I remember saying, well, why do you think they have to have it now? you know maybe they're manipulating you and for me it was if my kids wanted something from me and I was busy if it wasn't some sort of horrible emergency I would say as soon as I'm done with this whether it was cooking or folding laundry or um, whatever um, cleaning something I'd say when I as soon as I'm done with this I'll read you a book, or give you a hug, or we'll go to the park, or whatever. Um, So I was able to meet the request, but it was on my terms, according to my schedule and my availability, so that my work still got done so that the household still maintained peace and order. Um, And I just wanna encourage you that you're not to be at the mercy of your children. It's a
0: lot lot of affection, but not their idea of a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Because they're immature, and they're trying to just change the inventory, just like they try to negotiate and and see lawyer their way out of the pain. They're going to try to get you to give them more book reading, more sitting on lap time, more spending the night in your bed. Um, All sorts of things that they think and their idea of what's the perfect life that they... Uh, should be able to get out of you. If you start on that in this situation that Leslie talked about, it was almost like we were um, Satanists that we suggested to her that you ought not be doing that. Uh, no, you don't give affection just because they ask. Because they are asking just like... They're looking for the weakness in your armor where what you were willing to give... You are then commanded to give by them. Um, you want to be sure that it's an expression of your love, not your attempt to purchase theirs. If I hug them enough, maybe I'll feel that finally reciprocate. Finally, they'll hug me back. Those are not. That's not how you work hugs. Um. Another aspect of bad affection is sentimentalism, and sentimental moms have you know those collages of photos of you growing up in the hall, or um, every stage memorialized of your upbringing uh, they are they, they, they speak of this, this wonder that is their family and their love for their family. Um, it's a, a, a quote here I have in the text. It came from one of Leslie's ex-boyfriends or one of your... Was I, it Ray Pritchett? No, it was Ron? Ray's
1: brother. Ray Pritchett's brother.
0: Who was not your bro- boyfriend? No, Ray was my
1: boyfriend. Ray. But when, when he, Ray and I were being affectionate he said we this. shall say.
0: He shall say this. Public displays of affection cheapen the relationship and embarrass others. Exactly. So knock it off, even with your kids. Your kids don't, you don't want to go, oh, Mom! Now, there's some degree of there's some degree of objection sometimes to affection that is trying to Make a stand against it, but they're really trying to find out if it's real. You know, they they push back. Oh, I'm done. And then, then yet you overcome their resistance, and and they actually really enjoy it. Um, it's a uh, it's something that you have to be very sophisticated about the whole idea of saturation love the same way, you dump a lot of love onto somebody who's never had the affection, you have to go through a, a, some phases of, of resistance and then they accept it um, but realize that sentimentalism is not the reason that you should be hugging your child, you should be loving um, your child for, because you're their mother, you're their father they are lovable, they are especially yours, but other associations about what family means to you. Um, you don't want to, you know, I don't know what you think of Thomas Kincaid paintings, but they're awful. And I, I know if you own one and you think it's great, God bless you, Jesus loves you. The painting is still awful. But that's the kind of evocative framework of, of what some parents want their family to feel like they want their family to feel like the bridge of faith or whatever the other paintings are called with every thread of emotional response tugged on rather than just hey I like my kids I'm going to rub his head as I go by carry him like a football sometimes pick him up normal sometimes sit them on my lap, read to them. That's what affection is. I'm maintaining a physical connection that is based on my actual enjoyment of my child. And as you get good at this, if you get good at the discipline, if you get good at Christianity, adulthood, discipline and affection, you're going to be enjoying the time. The time of peace you have in the situation will be... Uh, almost delectable, you won't even be able to recognize how other families can uh, live with the chaos that they have. When this I mentioned before that you have a debt to your spouse affectionately before your children. If the debt you think you need to pay to your children keeps you from paying your debt to your spouse, primarily moms to their husbands. His husband's come home. He hasn't spent the day in the trenches. But if you're too tired because you've been reading so many books to your kids to knock boots with your husband, you are probably disobedient, wrong-headed in some fashion. You're not living according to the ordinate love that you should have. You are loving your husband and you love your children. You just love them inordinately. Children above husband. It always should be husband above children. They are more important. They are better than you. So get it straightened out. Um, Then you have the parents who love their children more than they love Christ. Um, And I've known in recent years a number of Christian families, and I call them seriously Christian families, who I think, from what they, how they've reacted about the safety of their children or the, the future of their children, that if you held a gun to their child's head and said, I'm going to kill your child unless you deny Christ, they would deny Christ. Now, I don't like to say that about people I know and care about, but that's what I think. They might not, I might be wrong. But the way they speak, not that you want to see your child die, not that you're cold-hearted, you just know that Jesus Christ is more important than your child, or your child's life. The lessons you have in Abraham would not withhold his only son, the son of the promise, when expected. Now, they're trying to Remember, the little bastards are, are up to no good. They're trying to find the, the point of leverage they're going to use on you. I mentioned to somebody on the porch, they are trying to discipline you all the while you're trying to discipline them. So they're trying to set up an, a, a means of running this life in this house which leaves them in some kind of driving control and they have to use certain things to get it done. For some, it's screaming fits. For others, it's passive-aggressive. Um, for others, it's setting mother against father. That's a pretty standard one. You get the low end is, um, they ask you for something, did you ask your mother? Um, yes. What did she say? She said, no. well, why are you asking me? You know, if that, unless the parents... Join. understand that they are a joined they are a far more physically membership joined duality than the kids ever hope to be with their parents don't let them create a kind of soft institutional divorce between husband and wife about what gets done and what doesn't get done where if a husband finds he has let something happen that was against the express it comments of the wife in the kid's life it sets the parents against the parents the kids trying to find a way to get into the driver's seat on the loving your children more than Jesus Christ, you just look at what Jesus says about you you're not worthy of Jesus Christ if that is, I think about it you should always think about counting the cost, what does it take do you love your little Johnny that much that any comment you might make about Christ isn't worth fussing about now it's far better in a kid to grow up where dad knows where mother knows that dad knows that Jesus Christ is more important than she is and the kids know that Christ is more important to the parents than they are When the dog knows, you know, whoever is in the membership knows where things sit. And if that sitting is a guidance of benevolence and noble love that that restricts and demands and punishes according to goods it's trying to make for you, then stepping into that dance is not a a real problem. But I think that some people are so insecure about communicating to the children that they are loved. They are willing to take the governor off the engine and try to run that little motor as fast as they can in pursuit of their chi- uh, children's love. Now, one of the basic tests here in the middle of the page, page 24, do your children enjoy the time with you? Do they like being around you? If you ask, can I go? They go, uh, e- Do they want you along? Do they want you to be playing? I was always fighting off the attempts of my wife and children to play games. Because they wanted to play board games. I hate board games. Don't ask me to play board games. Once in a blue moon, Scrabble. When they were little, sorry, you know. But I don't want any complications. I want it to be fast over quick a lot of time in between my moves so I can think about something else. But, do your kids want you to participate? Do they like to see the family together around the table? Around the holidays, we'd find ourselves playing Balderdash or something like that. You know, and you realize that this is so important to your kids, because I know it's not important to me. I can't stand it. But I know that you want to reward your kids that they feel rewarded about being with the family, being with their parents. And you want them, especially when they get, we'll talk about this in teenage years, when they get to the teenage years, to really believe, because the first lesson you have as a teenager is all of that glory slips away from the parent. If the modern world could strip you of your glory, um... You probably didn't do quite enough. It's it's nice while it while it lasted, but you want to have um, uh, your kids rather spend the time with you. They'd rather. That's what's nice about uh, you checking your you always can check the real uh, claims of a relationship by uh, the old adage: uh, people vote with their feet. You decide where they're going to be. Do they walk home? Do they? Which way is the traffic at the Mexican border? It isn't into Mexico. People vote with their feet. They'd rather be in the United States. East Berlin, the wall? Which way were they running over and getting shot? Well, one direction. Nobody was running out of the west into the east. You want to see them vote for you. Um, Is there a, uh, a a little concern about it's like sentimentalism, infantile tenderness because you like babies. I'm sorry, your babies grew up. Don't keep treating your babies as infants. It's a far better thing for Dad to be wrestling his sons on the floor than mom to be expressing, he's my baby. It's a, uh, it was a a dark secret when my father broke his finger wrestling Doug and me on the floor after my mother had warned him that someone was gonna get hurt if we kept wrestling like that on the floor. He proceeded to break his finger and didn't tell my mother for years. (laughs) It was so bad that his finger dangled that if he he could not lift his finger. So he'd always sit with his hand on the table to hold up the finger so that mother would never find out. And she was a suspicious Canadian. She would have found it out. But that was a far better moment, that kind of camaraderie of father-sons. Um, far better than... Um, uh, that, and again, that kind of affection, the hammerlock is far better than kisses on the round face of your baby now with public displays of affection like we mentioned before about embarrass um, everybody um, you you ask yourself are you trying to prove something because do you really need to be expressing that affection out in public and does your kid like having that affection expressed to them in public? You know, I mean, it's the average scene in the movie, the mom dropping her kids off for soccer practice, and, and, and first off, it's bad enough that he's got his name written with a heart on it on his lunch bag. You know, what, women, do you need your head examined? They don't need a heart on their lunch bag. You know, skull and crossbones, fine, but not a heart. And you don't, and what's worse, what do our kids always hate? Mom in pennies adjusting your pants to see if they fit. Okay? These are all sins of women. Or my mother licking the neck to clean your face like she's a mother cat. Leave that at home. If your kid went out dirty, your kid stays dirty. But what are we trying to prove and who are we trying to prove it to? Are we trying to prove it to the public, not to your child, not to you? It's like prayers to be seen by men. Now, another point is sarcasm. And uh, as you know, I'm sarcastic. Sarcasm means to tear the flesh. Sarks is flesh. I guess chasm is tear. Sarcs, chasm. And um, it's the kind of humor or remark, whether it's humorous or not, that is tearing the other person uh, a wound uh, basically um, where am I wrong page now <laughs> I know my everybody says "Have haven't you're sarcastic and you have a problem I learned it from my father as he mm-hmm. told me well since I was young he would tell people that he would rock us to sleep until he ran out of rocks. And they'd look at Jim Wilson like, what, what, what? You're not supposed to say that. Well, one, he didn't have stupid children. If you're stupid, yes, people shouldn't use sarcasm around you. Because you're stupid, you don't know the meaning of words. But he said rocks, he was going to throw them at the child. Okay, low IQ is a problem that's one of, the, you, one of the things you have to say I can't use sarcasm all the time once you realize that the person is not bright enough to understand the meaning of the context and are confused because the words meant throwing rocks at his children but he wasn't throwing rocks at his children I don't understand and I know people like that. So there's really no point of being sarcastic around them. But then there are people who don't believe. The other aspect of sarcasm that makes it, and Lewis says, I was going to look this up, and I didn't have the time. Uh, I think it's in The Four Loves. I'm not sure. Uh, Lewis talks about a, uh, a father who is claiming that his abuse of his family is just that family intimate you know, jolly back and forth when everybody hates him. There are people that really do want to, bad sarcasm, they really want to hurt the person they're talking about, and they're hiding it under the phrase, I was only kidding. I had the proverb here on the side of chapter 25. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking someone who does something damaging to someone and claim it's a form of humor. The reason it can work is it is a form of humor. But it requires that the child not be stupid to the child understand the contract. The old illustration I gave was from drones many years ago and a new guy was coming and he was sitting there listening to the conversation. And matter of fact, John Barry, who just called this afternoon, chat was there and he heard the sarcasm going back and forth around the room the new guy did and so he put his oar in and said something sarcastic to John Barry John Barry looked at him and says I don't think you know me well enough to talk to me that way and suddenly the guy I heard the story from the guy who did it and he said finally he understood that there had to be a contract a contract of love and affection that exists just like your love and affection exists and the discipline falls on the kid so when my father would say I rock the kids to sleep until I run out of rocks Doug and Evan are over in the corner because we, we don't think my father hates us he's never thrown anything at us Maybe a football, but that understand when the child fails to understand the contract, then sarcasm is not healthy. They have no place to put it other than uh, you're trying to hurt them. If you have the contract, you know bad men will claim there is a contract when there isn't one. Um, now, there's also older kids who want to disbelieve in the love you've expressed in the contract. Because they are already trying to make their self massively important to themselves and they're trying to gain some leverage. Uh, they're looking for a cause for offense. Everyone knows. they know you were sarcastic, they know the contract existed. They know they should claim, they should laugh, laugh it off, chuckle about it. But no, they're going to take umbrage. And because they're at a stage, some else, uh, something else is the problem then. But in a intelligent, where you've established the affection, um, uh, you've got that avenue of affection. My, we in our family, my kids, uh, us growing up with my folks, uh, loved it. We just it just was hilarious. Uh, the Graham and Gun were called the idiots for years. They were there was the kids. That's Doug Davis and Michael, and the idiots. Because they functioned as twins, even though they're two years apart, and they were that age, you know, seven. You know, this was their older grade school years, pretty much. Um, and, and they would introduce themselves that way Hi, we're the idiots. <laughs> <laughs> they were so pleased. My sister was double ugly. <laughs> double ugly. Jim Wilson called my only sister double ugly Um, when you know your love when the contract is understood it's one of the deeper bits of affection if you haven't made the covenant that was for any reformed audience you haven't made the covenant of uh, Uh, clear in their mind or you haven't raised bright children uh, then you don't get that privilege now as an example I have a section here it's really long because it's about me why do children like Evan (laughs) now it's pretty clear to you that I think very little of them Um, I don't feel any kind, you know Oliver's a cute kid Right? pick on Oliver a lot because he's here Round, and uh, he's got a nice smile. A little goofy. I don't feel anything, you know, for Oliver. I, I appreciate Oliver's presence in the cosmos. That's about all I can say. That he occupies some space. Now, there's a kind of affection that recognizes the hierarchical distance that uh, I just want to recommend to you that as you are enjoying life together do not let the affection remove the height because there's another just like with sarcasm there's a kind of affection there's a kind of understanding that somebody has who knows they're getting their chain yanked by the, I gave you a list of Bible study topics that came right off a poster that we had back when I did a high school Bible study. These were the topics. How despicable are the youth? Let me count the ways. What's wrong with boys besides the obvious retardation? What is wrong with girls besides being absolutely clueless? Another topic was you aren't very bright. We can fix that. You aren't ready for love. God has problems with you. No, not your parents, you. Those were sorts, those, and every year, I did a high school Bible study for a number of years. Every year, the list of Bible study topics were kicking those high school students in the nuts. No, no I mean, I said, and you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. That would be, That would be the scope. I get 30 kids here. They loved it. And babies the same way. I, I had to think about it a number of years ago. I said, why do the teenagers like me? I don't like them. Nobody likes teenagers. And small children. So I don't want to babysit, nor do I even want to hang out with my own grandkids. Or my own children. But there's something between, a shared moment, that is between the person that suspects that they're low. And the person that communicates that they're low, with affection, they go, oh yeah. All the, there's all the youth group leaders. They're trying to pretend that somebody who's a junior in high school is, you know, Aristotle, the wisdom of the ages. You're the coolest. The high school students, unless they're complete like theater majors, really self-obsessed people, they know they're not. They know playing like they are but they know they're not and they kind of like someone who shows them you might say this moment of integrity that you have an affection that registers their inferiority with I think I mentioned it on the side uh, bar there is joy of communion between the high and the low jointly acknowledged there are the point being there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of subtleties of enjoying the communion you have with the members of your family. All right? They're just in the positive senses. and not falling back on merely the other goods that you know you could count on to make you act like a good person towards your kids. But these are things that I hope that are about the nature of them being, your kids being members of your life, what you're trying to achieve, the kind of conversation you want to get, adjusting for their limitations. I have a section here on favoritism. It exists. I always get around, to, I tell, this is mostly for Gordon's family, because I tell uh, Mallory and little Heather, that they're both, that they're each, when I'm meeting them, that they're my favorite mat- niece. I'll even tell them in front of the other niece that they're my favorite niece. And then I'll turn to the other one and tell her she's my favorite niece. That's the sarcasm. They both enjoy it. They, they, they traffic in it. Every time they come to see me, they say, remember, I'm your favorite niece. Now, they know I'm lying to them. They know that. They wonder if I probably even think of them. And I probably don't. But when I'm with them, the attention of the, you might say, the, the false compliment. But real favoritism exists. One of your kids does better at the thing you value. You play ball in high school. Your son that plays ball, not the one who's in acting, or art. My father wondered what to do with me because I, was, I drew pictures and he was Naval Academy and you know Doug was far more along the lines of something he understood I wanted to draw horses I don't even like horses I had a book on how to draw horses I have these passages out of Genesis Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game but Rebecca loved Jacob Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because she was the son of his old age and he made him a a long robe with sleeves and when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Ah, there's the warning. But it just lets you know that even with the, the children of promise even with It being in the Bible, bad things happen when favoritism happens. Now, the problem is not that one of your kids can't be better than the other. I mean, obviously there are kids that are dumb as a stump and kids that are geniuses. Obviously there are kids that are really, really pretty. I had one uh, person in a family that was just gorgeous. Gorgeous little girl. And everybody treated her better. Gorgeous people. Other people treat better. Their their doors open up for them. Jobs are offered to them. It's not that they're smarter. And the plain Jane sisters just go, what am I, chopped liver? Yes. So we know that those distinctives exist in the children, but then what do we do? What do we do about the potential? First you check what you value. You shouldn't be like um, Isaac here, because he got food out of Esau he ate of his hunting crass or Jacob because he was the son of the woman he loved is that what it says the son of his old age I think it says some other place because he was the son of um, Rachel Now, those are invalid reasons. They're not, they're responsive reasons that say, okay, but my response is based not on something of real value, but something that I'm allowing my stomach or finally having a child with Rachel to be the standard of measure between my children so those could be confessed and those could be adjusted but say you've actually got not just somebody who brings you food and is the child of the woman in your harem you really liked but some just really winsomeness they're just really not they love the Lord, they're interested in the scriptures they talk about all the things you talk about wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? And you got one who's just kind of a troglodyte football player. And and his feast of reason is the price difference between the gas in Pullman and Moscow. That's what all he thinks about. What do you do? Well, the person that is less... This is a membership, your body of, of your family is. Um... I like to, because it describes this in Corinthians about the church, affection can adjust for this, where you have a favoritism or something, valid or invalid, there's a favoritism there. On the contrary, Corinthians, right at the bottom of 25, the parts of the body which seem to be weaker and indispensable, and those parts of the body which we think are less honorable, we invest with the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Affection balances in some way. Affection is a debt of a family, not a debt of admiration. Okay, that, that not just merely who they are. If if someone had been giving Isaac uh, meat that he had hunted, he would like that guy too. You know. It's a, but we have a we have a vested interest in this affection, knowing that the more dispensable parts of your family's existence need to be invested with greater honor for God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the inferior part that there may be no discord in the body like was happening in Isaac's family, I mean Jacob's family, that the members may have the same care for one another, one member suffers, all suffer together, if one member is honored, all rejoice together so you see the great uh, reward that occurs in that situation. But you also see the calamity that occurs when you start to express only the rejoicing, the affection, the admiration, the, the help for the child that is, you know, you could say that of Isaac, he loved Esau more than Jacob. God loved Jacob more than Esau. But God did great things for Esau. God did great things for Ishmael. God did... He wasn't saying, I'm going that way. This is the one who's a child of the promise. But I'm still going to do good for you. What are you doing for... There's there's a... And this is, the, again, a the warning about uh, uh, adoption. You can't... You, these are pressures that exist in oftentimes a woman will think she can't have a child then she adopts and then boom because her guard's down about a body she is knocked up. And then what does she do? Her child of her old age she loves very dearly and the child they're stuck with from the adoption agency becomes uh, a problem. Now speaking of problems not because I want to embarrass you but because it has come up as a concern to us in questions we have received. And that has to do with physical affection towards members of the opposite sex in your family. Incest, temptations, etc. Biblically, it addresses it with Job and his daughters. And I was... A I. a Lot in his daughters? Lot and his daughters, thank you. Job was a good man. All of Lot's daughters got killed. Which is a way of dealing with it. Um, but uh, various, not not a lot, but some Christian fathers, it's been expressed to me, that as their daughters matured, they felt nervous about showing affection. The same is true, at least according to Freud, regarding all young men, there's all these Oedipal urges about their moms. So what do we do? Well, first off, icky sexual sin is still sexual sin. Okay, Just because it's icky doesn't mean that we, it would be the kind of sexual sin that might be problematic in a family. But it's going to be problematic in a family that, like Lot's family, had not monitored certain things. Here, look at the things that, that Lot was susceptible to. He'd been living in a culture of absolute depravity. His wife had been turned to salt. So his daughters were all going to marry guys from Sodom, which meant they weren't all that great. So their moral standing was not so great. He gets drunk. And they have excuses at the ready. Well, our line must be preserved. Because if Dad doesn't get us pregnant, there won't be any people down line from us. The Ammonites and the Moabites came from them. But when you look at, look at it without, you might say, the presence of the ick factor, you stop and say, yeah, these are things, actually, I would not... I would not be stepping into those kind of temptations at all if those things are dealt with. I'm not a worldly believer. I'm, I'm, My wife and I, what is God's answer to any sexual sin? Because of the temptation to immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Okay? That's God's answer to sexual sin, one of his answers. Each man his own wife. So... The fact that you had a wife, but she's been turned to salt, is a problem. Which means she's not available for connubial bliss. Which means, really, the problem is, not that you have a wife, but that you have a wife that isn't participating sexually with you. Which means that you were susceptible. I mean, there's huge taboo barriers about uh, family Um, sin of this nature, sexual sin, that only major desire is going to be setting you up for. Second, if your life is lived by impulse, in other words, like his drunkenness, they got him drunk. Not only was his wife gone, but they had to get him impaired. So he could not make a judgment about what he was doing. Now, you don't want to have that kind of life either. You want to say, "I." St- I the, the, the biblical response to this kind of sexual temptation is like every sexual temptation. Whether it's homosexuality, whether it's heterosexuality, whether it's whatever, whatever it is. You sleep with your spouse with activity or you don't sleep with your spouse and... Uh, you have a rational mind, not a passionate mind, and you don't start. The whole idea of making excuses usually have to be present when the first two things have been compromised, because you still need you still need a, a, a the, the noise of of good. You're doing the right thing. You know your your line must be preserved. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, but only after you have been jeopardized sexually and jeopardized passionately. Now on the other side part of the on the other side from the child that, that the height and the privacy of the parent's sexual relationship ought to be such that the parents believe in it and it is higher than their relationship with the child. When the mother is down there making her whole life an arrangement with the children, not making her life an arrangement with her husband, that, that there's not a private place where that goes, that the child is not included, the child is not there. Um, kids are fine with stopping you from having sex with your spouse. They would love to crawl into your bed every chance they get. They don't know what's going on there, but it's not going on there anymore and they will keep it from happening. Because they want all the love themselves, they want all the affection of themselves, they suspect that these two other people in the house like each other a whole lot, and that's gotta stop. So don't, don't let your kid become the anchor for losing the contact with your spouse so that later on, when your children hit sexual maturity, you're tempted your own children. You shouldn't be. You should be completely um, used up by your spouse. Same is true on Oedipal issues. Um, women sometimes are a bit naive. They have they, been married long enough to know what gets a man's motor going. They forget that their young sons grow up into young men. And they can't imagine young men, anything from a Sears catalog to a you know my father told me that back in the day they used to use Sears catalogs for toilet paper except their mother would go out to the the outhouse and and tear out all the lingerie section um, out of the catalog which were line drawings folks, I mean my gosh, it was 1937 or something like that We have to realize that the, the, the pressures that are in a young man don't, unless, unless you have drawn a picture of the, uh, you might say, the otherness and the privacy of husband and wife, unless you keep yourself, don't say, I've got the freedom to walk around my house in the almost all together, because it's all family. Well, it's all family with testosterone in the air. I mean, it's, it's, it's not... That kind of naivete is um, dangerous. And... But it's just a, just a reminder. Don't be naive. When your sons hit maturity, you do not get to be as affectionate as you used to be. You don't get to wrap yourself around them they're hoping some girl wraps around them but if they ever think sexually of their mother it should that will, that will disturb them for a long time okay um, hmm. being addicted to your affections these are the last uh, notes, I made these uh, passages on Samuel being given up by Hannah um when you grant when you grant the leaving, you know what you're leaving them to. They're, you are leaving them to the Lord, you're leaving them to their marriage estate, their their spouse, you're leaving them to the maturity you granted them. <coughs> and those are those are that's a valuable three part power in your child's life that they have someone who loves them that's looking out for them, they have a God who loves them looking out for them and you looked out for them your whole life to train them how that maturity was going to work out for them um, and I gave the illustration of Hannah giving Samuel to the Lord um, it's a major gift like I say, saying my, my dad giving us things before we even ask for them. Uh, getting ahead of the curve about this leaving. Not saying, hey, when you turn 18, you're out of here. Not that kind of uh, chasing them out, but granting them privileges that they hadn't asked for yet. That's a great gift. It prepares your heart. You've had your chance in raising them. Let them be about their own business. Did you have anything, Leslie? uh... Well, I
1: just know that when when I moved to Idaho because this guy here was making the right kinds of noises about our future, it was really hard on my parents. And there were times when I felt like they were making me, trying to lay guilt on me for coming here and marrying this guy who was... From Idaho, and we weren't going to live in California anymore. And it, I realized when my children got older, I was not, I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to lay any guilt on them for their choices. Um, so that's my encouragement to moms is let your kids grow up and make their choices. And if they end up living on the other side of the world from you, they belong to the Lord anyway. They're not really yours. Um, they
0: should make their own lives. It's like, it, basically, it's like affection in planning. Just like someone who does, I don't like back rubs. go, touches my back. She loves them. It's right for me to give her back rubs. It's wrong for her to give me back rubs. You should give to the child that which they enjoy receiving. And if you've looked at your child long enough and you see they're really interested in going to Notre Dame, a long way away, God bless them and and don't put any, you know, be that person who makes that really easy for them. You didn't just give them permission, you opened the doors for them. That's affection. You're giving them the good. Because they're worried about whether or not you're going, if you've had a good relationship, they're going to worry about leaving. And if they see you rejoicing in it, it's going to be great. One thing about daughters, when it says about bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker vessel, it is true when you're raising daughters, fathers, you have one, a degree of affection that needs to be poured out to any child, more affection to your daughters. And they're going to go out into the world either half empty, whatever degree empty, of affection and they're not going to know what they're th- feeling or what they're thinking it's not because they're horny or they're, they're you know, evil but they want to be loved and they don't feel adequately loved that they get into trouble physically and it is a good thing to have uh, they, they just start to process that out in life that if father doesn't want them to you know be around, they, they kind of figure out what it takes to get other guys to be around. And they're usually right. And it causes men to start responding to them, they start feeling that kind of affirmation. You need to be giving because a woman is more insecure than a man and uh, it's something you need. I had a note here to the side on that effect. Um, so it's almost three. Do we start at four? You want an hour, or do you just want a half hour? What do you need? Half hour. Half hour. Yeah. We'll, we'll get done a little early that way. Yeah. Get your fat out of Dodge this way if you want to run away. Well, let's thank God, dear Lord. We're grateful for this time. We we'll get to looking forward to the last session in Your Son's name. Amen.